For the Christian, this is really a tremendously special day. We come together and it's, it's festive and it's exciting because all of us are here for the same reason. We're all here because our Redeemer lives and that means something to us. I especially love Resurrection Day. I especially love the resurrection. But I'm a skeptic. Those of you who know me, I struggle trusting things and I'm an eternal skeptic. I question everything. Now, I like to call it being a processor. I like to think it's because I'm an engineer by trade and and I like to think through problems and that, but in the end, I'm a skeptic. And faith in God, and I can't put my hands on it and I can't work him into an equation and I can't do these things, there's this skepticism that rises up in me. And there's nothing beautiful about that because how that manifests itself is in a weak faith. Oftentimes, when I wake up in the morning before my feet even hit the floor, the deceiver's already talking to me and I'm already listening. Whether that's doubting my faith, whether that's doubting God, whether that's doubting what Christ has done for me, I just wake up with my head sometimes just spinning. And God gently reminds me of the resurrection. And it's always the same thing. I'm never reminded of other things. I'm reminded of the resurrection. Because it's the one thing that I can't get around. It's the one thing in history. And and I love to read apologetic books and arguments and points and counterpoints and the atheists. And I just love reading those things. And I hear all these arguments. And in the end, I can't get around the fact that there was this man in history named Jesus who claimed a whole lot of things, who died, and then the world was changed because people said he wasn't dead anymore. I cannot get around that. This morning, the message is going to be celebration. When you leave here, Your heart should just be elated. You should be just filled with joy to go out and think, Wow, my Redeemer lives. And that's where we're going this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are here this morning for various reasons that God is here. But God, we're here to celebrate what you've done for us that you died and that you rose and that you're seated at the right hand of the power of God. And God, that you've promised us to raise us up also. We're here to celebrate that, Lord, and I would pray that everything that we do reflects that. This morning, God, would you bless your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The resurrection narrative actually starts when Jesus died. 
If you haven't read it, it is a very interesting exercise to go through and read all four accounts of the resurrection, one right after the other. And then the next day, turn right around and do it again. The reason I know this is a great exercise is because that's what I've been doing for the last month. Just read the Gospels right in a row each time and see how these things come together and it, it, it just does something for your mind. But here's what actually happened. Jesus was on the cross. Good Friday, you were here and you heard Pastor Dan preach about that and, and I love the term that he used. Jesus was on the cross and he absorbed God's wrath for us. And when he died, he died for all of us. The key point there is he died. The resurrection starts with a dead Jesus. And if it starts anywhere else, we have a lot of problems. Jesus died. It was a day of preparation for the Sabbath, and so some things had to happen quickly. A man named Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and says, Pilate, can you give me the body so I can bury him? Pilate's surprised. He's already dead. He checks with the Roman guard to make sure he's dead. Okay, you can have the body. I don't care what you do with it. Gives him the body. Joseph takes the body and puts him in a nice fresh tomb. He's being followed by a gaggle of ladies to see where Joseph was laying the body. And then there's this eerie silence in the scripture for a couple of days. Through the Sabbath. And what you read when you read this is you just see this fear. We have this group of people who were following Christ and, and, and didn't exactly understand what he was going to do. He was going to die, and he was going to die for their sin. They didn't understand that. This is the Messiah. This is the man. He's come to restore Israel. And he just died. Every one of them know he's dead. And there's this fear because the religious rulers are trying to stamp this thing out right now. And so they all go into hiding. It's just, it's just this, this fear that just kind of... It's all over the story. And then Sunday morning, bright and early, a group of ladies go down because they need to wrap the body for a a number of customs and things. They take a bunch of spices and they go to the tomb. And they're wondering, oh, how are we going to get the stone rolled away? It's really heavy and, and we can't move it, but maybe the soldiers will help us. And when they get there, there's this thing that happens. And depending on what account you read, could be an earthquake and the stones moved and there's an angel on it. Or, But no matter which way you read it, there's a couple of things. They get there and the tomb is empty and the stone is away. And they can go in and they can look and they see that the grave clothes are there, but no one is there. And it says that they had two emotions. Now think of these emotions. One, they had excitement. They had joy. They Wait a minute. He said something about, whoa. And then they had this intense fear. But then they also had probably some loneliness mixed in there. Because, but my Lord is gone. Where where did you put him? And so they had all of this stuff mixed around in their mind. Because they see this empty tomb. 
They scurry off. And on their way, Mary talks to this person that she thinks is the gardener and says, where did you put him? Where did you put him? If you just tell me, I'll go carry him away and put him where he belongs. But where did you put him? And this gardener says, Mary. She looks up and sees who it is. Now, think through that a minute, those of you skeptics. People don't come back from the dead. You don't stand in the garden where you just laid this body and some 40 hours later be looking at a fully restored man. What had to be going on in her mind? She says, teacher, rabbi, rabboni, Lord, that's what was going on in her mind. She knew right then who this was and what was going on. He said, well, go tell my disciples what's happened. She scurries off with the ladies and tells the disciples. And, and they, of course, said, wow, well, that's, of course, what's supposed to happen. We've read the scripture. We've been here for two days just combing through the Old Testament, making sure that we knew that he was going to die for our sins, raised on the third day, uh, stayed three days in the belly of the earth and the whole Jonah thing. Yeah, we got it. So, okay, we'll just wait for him at Bethany. That's not what they said at all. They heard the news and they thought she was a little crazy. But a couple of them at least had the frame of mind to get up and go look. But I love how it's at Peter when he looked in it, He didn't know what to think about it. He just didn't know what to think. And he went home. He just had no idea. And then along the way, all these things are happening and and they're telling people now. And Jesus kind of slides up alongside two guys, two disciples, walking on a road. And Jesus asks them, so, what are you guys talking about? And they look at him like Mary looked at the gardener. Where have you been? Everybody in Jerusalem knows what's going on, that there was this prophet that was empowered by God with miracles, and he preached the word. And and some people say that he's risen from the dead. Jesus looks at him and says, well, let me explain something to you. And one of my favorite passages in the Bible, or verses, this is twice, it says he explained to them, he opened their mind, he showed them all the way through the scripture, what had to happen. He taught them. And then finally they get to a place and invite him in for dinner and they eat and they also notice, like Mary, wow, this was Jesus and he's gone. They say, oh, didn't our hearts burn when he was explaining this to us? We knew it was him. And then Peter, good old Peter, They're out fishing because that's what people do and they don't know what else to do. (laughs) Okay, I love to fish and I go do it when I don't know what else to do. And they're fishing all night and they catch nothing. And, And this story starts to sound very familiar to something that happened at the beginning of the gospel accounts. And this guy yells from the shore, catch anything? No, he didn't catch anything. Well, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. He does and he pulls in all these fish. And one of the disciples turned to Peter and said, you know who that is, don't you? 
That's Jesus. And Peter wraps himself up, jumps in the water, and just swims like crazy. Do you feel the passion in this man? Right? This is the man that just failed Christ, denied him, doubted him, all of these things. He jumps in the water because he just wants to be back with him. And he gets to the shore and Jesus reinstates him, essentially. Peter knows Jesus is alive. My Redeemer lives. And he doesn't go, well, you know, I'm not sure he really lives or not. Just like that song says, he knows his Redeemer lives. And then they're sitting in a, a group. They're sitting in a room. And Thomas isn't with them. And Jesus just appears. Peace. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Come over here and touch me. Do you have anything for me to eat so you know that I'm just not a spirit? Come touch me. Know that I'm real. Know that I'm alive. You need to know that I'm alive. You need to know. They come and they touch him and they're just amazed and they worship him. And Thomas, my favorite disciple, says... I will not believe that. I know all of you say that that happened. But unless I can stick my fingers in the holes and squeeze him into this little equation and see to myself that he's alive, I'm not going to believe it. And you can just see Jesus listening to this going, Oh, do I got a plan for you, pal? (laughs) They're all together again. Thomas is with them. Jesus comes in. Peace. Don't be afraid. Thomas, come here. Touch this. Thomas knows right away. This is Jesus. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. He knows it. And Jesus says, You believe because you've seen me. You've touched me. You're standing in the very room with the resurrected, eternal body of Jesus Christ. That's why you believe. And then he says, Blessed are those who believe but haven't ever seen. Something took this group of disciples from this fear-ridden group of fishing people to a group of people who went out and changed the world. No matter how you slice that up, you cannot get away from something very miraculous changed their life. And every one of them say, what miraculous thing changed my life is I saw the physical body. I've touched him. I've seen him. I've talked to him. I know my Redeemer lives. And he's told me how all these things play out. I know it. The skeptics can talk all they want. You can't get around Jesus Christ Raised from the dead. This is something that everybody has to settle somewhere in their mind. Every person has to do that, and we'll discuss why here in a second. But as you go through the different arguments, the different theories as to how we can excuse the resurrection, because if the resurrection is true, 
Jesus is God. If you don't want to submit to that, you have got to get rid of the resurrection. Right? The Quran happily writes in there, Jesus never died. You missed it. Right? And then there's a lots of theories that grow off of that, that he got beat up and he looked really bad, but the cool, damp air helped him get better and he moved the stone and tied up the guards and walked away. There's that. And I say it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but these are real. They're things that people actually believe. Or he wasn't the one that actually went to the cross. They did the switch thing, right? Because nobody really was looking anyway. And so really they took Judas and crucified him. And after they beat him up so bad, you couldn't tell the difference between Judas and Jesus anyway. And then magically, look at this, Jesus just appears. Now some of you are thinking, well, okay, but then how did that Jesus who just lied to everyone ascend? (laughs) They missed that part. But we all have to get to a place where we decide, did Jesus die? And did God raise him from the dead? To be a Christian means, it demands you believe that. That you understand that. That you wholeheartedly accept that Jesus Christ died and that God raised him from the dead. So I put together this lovely little survey. Go to your local coffee shop and ask everybody. Here's where people fall. Did the resurrection of Jesus Christ ever happen? There's a couple of places we could go with this. Nope. It just never happened. I'm an educated man, and therefore I know miracles don't happen, so there just needs to be another way to explain it. And so we're going to search for that. We're going to come up with theories. We're going to do these things because miracles don't happen. If that's the category that we're in, make sure you're right. Because I love this phrase I stole from somebody else. Eternity is a long time to be wrong. But make sure you land there somewhere. Not making a decision is the same as making a decision. How about this? Yes, it happened. But so what? If it doesn't help me get a better interest rate, who cares? Who cares? If it doesn't help me get that next place in my life, the next place in a job, or the, if it doesn't get me something right now, who cares? Yeah, so what? It happened. Did you see the front page of the Tribune this morning? It had a whole big thing about Easter, and, and I just read the taglines underneath. It said, you know, but in a world of warfare and failing economies and elections and all these things, what matter does the resurrection really have? Does it? And there's a group of people that say, yes, it happened. And I do care. It matters. It matters. There may be a chasm between the way you believe and the way you walk, and God is sanctifying you through that, but it matters. And we have those people that don't really know whether it happened or not, and those that don't care... I think that's where most people fit. They don't know whether it happened. They're not sure why they even want to think about it. Because we live in this great world where as long as I don't actually land anywhere, everybody likes me. And so I just don't care to think about it. 
if something like the resurrection of the dead happened in history, that seems to me, and granted I'm not a postmodern, I'm kind of a modern, it seems to me like that's one of those things you'd really care to know. If in fact there's an eternity and there's life after death, And someone came and died so that I could cross over to be with God. That's something you'd want to know about. And then we have that group of seekers who don't really know. But they're going to find out. They do care. They're looking. They're asking. And if you're in that category here, find somebody that can explain it to you. Find somebody that will argue with you and and take some of the cobwebs out of your head to to get that thinking somewhere. When I first became a Christian, somebody gave me a couple of books that were just argument books. And as I read through them, they they just so blessed me. And so if you're in that place where you're not sure if it happened or not, but you do care, talk to somebody. Get some material. Just have some conversations with people. Because if the resurrection is true... then Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And I'm going to do some some adjustment to the message because this is something I didn't write down until I heard your all's message, your testimony. If Jesus Christ raised from the dead, my sin is forgiven. It's totally forgiven. God is the only one who can forgive it, and he has. As I put my trust in Christ for that absorption, God has made me cross from death. The bonds that hold me, he's broken them, and he's brought me to life. My sins are totally forgiven if the resurrection has occurred. If the resurrection has occurred in Acts chapter 2, it says God has declared this Jesus both Lord, master of the earth, and Christ, the chosen Messiah, seated at the right hand of God. All authority has been given to him for everything. If God raised this man from the dead, he is deity. He's with God. And everything that this man said is true. So when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, he meant it. When he says, any man that dies, if he believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. And if you believe in me, you'll never die. How does that sit? Studying for this, I had to go away and go for some walks. Because there are certain things that are just so hard to grasp. And I'm convinced none of us will ever grasp the fullness of this event. Because it's infinite. You can't do it. And I see in my life that there is this huge rift between what I say I believe. I believe that I'm going to be resurrected. I believe 
that Jesus Christ raised from the dead and therefore he's Lord and God. I believe that. I'm standing here telling you, I believe that. But if you were to follow me around all day long, you would wonder whether or not I believed that. So there's this huge rift between what my mind says is true and what my feet do. But if Jesus Christ is both Lord and Christ, then it also says he's going to finish this work in me and that he's closing this rift and making me more and more like himself. And there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. We can see that chasm. We ask God to expose that to us. But we have the hope that he's doing that. Let's open to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. If the resurrection is true, let's grab onto some of these things. Remember, we're doing celebration. This is hope. This is excitement. When we leave here, there should be this, I'll hold it. There's going to be a joy. And we see out of this passage that we should have. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Because Christ has risen from the dead, I have a living hope. Living hope. All of you are going to have some some dinner eventually here in the next couple hours. And you may have forgotten something from the store. And you're going to say, I forgot the bread. I'm going to run to the store and get it. Just follow the illustration for a moment. You don't even think about it. You just know that when I get in the car and I drive to the grocery store, I'm going to go over to that one section and I'm going to pull out the bread. I'm going to go pay for it. You just know it's going to be there, don't you? You know, there's really no guarantee that's going to be there. The the proportion that this says, I have a living hope because Christ, God himself, is reserved it for me. We hope that that bread's going to be there. Because we know it's going to be there. You get in the car and you drive to the store like someone who knows what's going to happen. Have you ever seen, when you go through the Passion Week and you see Christ marching through the streets and he's talking to Pilate and he's not speaking, he's not defending himself, he's going all the way through to the cross because he knows why he's come. This is a man with resolve. He understands what his hope is. He understands God sent him. He understands. It's a living hope. And he's saying we have that. We can know what's coming because Christ was the first fruit. He was the one raised up. And because of that resurrection, we have a living hope. Let's go on. Verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's done. It's not something that's being put together. If the resurrection is true, I, as a Christian, have an inheritance. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will bring you to where I am and we can spend eternity together. 
if the resurrection is true, I have an inheritance that cannot fade. Stock market can't take it away. It can't burn down. Somebody can't go in there and swipe that loaf of bread before I get there. It's mine. And Christ has reserved it for me. If the resurrection is true, I have an eternity with Christ. Verse 5. Reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's already ready. And who protects that? Hold on, let me read that again. Who are protected by the power of God? It's not, I'm not protecting it. The power of God through faith. When I said I I wake up in the morning and the tempter starts tempting me and the deceiver gets in my head, who is it that gives me faith? Do I pull out my charts and go, oh, let's see, um, let's see, it happened this way. Oh, God comes in there and restores me. God himself gives me faith. He's protecting me. The one mark of a true believer is perseverance of faith. When these things happen, when the doubter comes or when bad times come or what, you have perseverance of faith. When you come to the other side, you still know it's all about God. That your life is to be full in bringing glory to God. God himself protects that inheritance, protects us, brings us to heaven. Verse 6, in this we greatly rejoice. Now, if you go and study First Peter, you see that Peter is writing to a church, a persecuted church, okay? which really brings even more meat to this passage. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof, verse 7, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. And though, we're getting back to that room with Thomas. Okay? The room with Thomas. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, yet you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. It started off because of the resurrection. What is it we're believing in? It says, even though you don't see him, you you never saw him. None of us saw Christ in the flesh incarnate while he was here. But yet, do you love him? Are you committed to who he is? Do you trust him? Though you don't see him now, you believe in him. Why? Why? What has God done? In that survey, where did you fall? If you're here this morning, somebody brought you here. If you have these questions that are going around in your head, what's the resurrection? What does that really mean to me? And God's calling you. He's putting something in there. 
And even though you don't see him, you can still believe. Even if you're a skeptic, God's going to put that faith in you. Respond to it. Verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. If the resurrection is true, that obtaining means I am currently, actively being saved. If the resurrection is true, God has stamped my forehead that says his, redeemed. I have redemption. If the resurrection is true, then God has called me, Chris Richards, to himself to spend eternity with him, and I can rejoice with exceeding joy. Is this a celebration? It is a celebration because that's what we're here doing. We are all here because the resurrection of Christ causes us to be redeemed. It's true. And therefore, we have an eternity with Him. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. He has us sealed. If we're His, then we're His. And there's an eternity. Let's pray. Oh, yeah. Lord Jesus, we trust you. And we trust, God, that you're doing a great work in each of our lives, making us more like yourself. Call it a great work, God, because it had have to be. God, I pray for anybody in here this morning that may have questions about what you've done in the history of man in redeeming us. God, would you pursue them and not let them just let it go? God, I also want to pray that each one of us would have a fuller understanding of what a great salvation we have and what your resurrection has truly done for us. Would you make us more like yourself? In Jesus' name, amen.